Psalm 119, beginning at verse 17. This is the section, the third section of the 22, after the Hebrew letter, letter Gimel. It begins, deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. It's really a wonderful request, isn't it? Deal bountifully with your servant. It boldly asks for blessing. That's the deal bountifully part. It bountifully means big. God, deal big with me. Bless me big, God. That's the idea behind it. But at the same time, even though it asks for big blessing, it humbly comes before God because he says, your servant. The servant is properly depending upon the master for his bounty. You see, when he says deal bountifully, he's asking with large expectation. Lord, you're a big God, and I believe you bless your people in big ways. And he realizes that's what he needs from God. It's almost like, God, bless me big or don't bless me at all. I need big blessing from you, God. I am so needy. I need a lot from you, Lord. I'm depending upon you all the way. Lord, if I was only depending upon you a little bit, then maybe a little bit of blessing would be enough. But Lord, I'm your servant. I'm depending on you all the way. Therefore, deal bountifully with your servant. Why? And it's beautiful. Look at the second part of verse 17. That I may live and keep your word. That's why the psalmist asked for blessing. It wasn't for personal indulgence or even personal comfort, but so that God's word might be lived and kept. This is a wonderful God-honoring prayer that's heard in heaven. Do you sense how excited God is when his people pray this way? Oh, Lord, bless me big so that I can obey you and honor your word. Now, as the rest of this section is going to demonstrate, the psalmist prayed this because of a lot of problems, a lot of pressures going on in his life. This section of the psalm shows us that this was a man who had suffered deeply. He wasn't just an ivory tower Bible scholar or, or, or man socked away in a library studying with a lot of books around him. No, he was persecuted. He had known deprivation and fear for his life. He had seasons when he felt like he got nothing from God's word. He also knew what it's like to have loneliness and rejection and a sense of abandonment. And in the middle of all that, he cries out to God and he says that I may live and keep your word. Now, I want to live, God. I don't only want to survive, but I want your life in and through me. Listen, there's something glorious in the Christian life when we can just hang on and survive, right? But look, don't set your sights too low. Don't be satisfied just with surviving. Tell God you want to live. You want to live that abundant, fruitful life before him. And then he goes on to verse 18. It's just glorious. It says, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. You see, the psalmist recognized there that without God's enlightenment, he couldn't see what he wanted to see in God's word. He says, open my eyes. The idea in that ancient Hebrew word is something like removing a veil, uh, removing a covering. And friends, notice this. It's not the word of God that needs changing. 
It's not as if the word of God is veiled and we can see just fine. No, the problem is that the word of God is great. It's our eyes that are veiled. And so we need to pray again and again, open my eyes that I may see. The psalmist didn't need new revelation. He needed to see the revelation that had already been given. He didn't need new eyes. He needed to be able to see with those redeemed eyes that the Lord had already given him. And what did he want to see? Look at it. It's right there in verse 18. Wondrous things from your law. There are wondrous things in the Bible, but they can only be seen when the eyes are opened by God. And this means that prayer is an important and often neglected part of Bible study. When people are getting into a passage of scripture and really want to plumb the depths of it, it's good to get your commentaries, it's good to get your word studies, it's good to get your historical and your grammar and all that in life. But listen, don't forget prayer. Don't forget getting on your knees before God and crying out to him, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. But doesn't this also tell us that not everybody sees the wondrous things are within God's word? There are wondrous things in God's word, but not everybody sees them. And when we do see them, we should regard that as a sign of God's blessing, a sign of his favor on his life. You know, when you think about it, God has given man a thirst for wondrous things. We have a sense of wonder. And there are certain things that are prompted. Sometimes the new and the unexpected can cause wonder. You see it every time, right? Every time Apple rolls out a new product, right? All the guys, ooh, wow. Show me new and wondrous things from Steve Jobs or Apple or something like that, right? The new and the unexpected can cause wonder. The beautiful and the great can cause wonder. You see majestic sights and scenery on this earth. Or the mysterious and the unknown can cause wonder. And I can even say that God has provided for this sense of wonder. And one of the ways he's done it is through his word. You see, the Holy Spirit can make us alive to the Bible. So that we can constantly see things that are new and unexpected. Things that are great and things that are beautiful. Things that are mysterious and unknown. And I think it's a shame to many Christians that though God has given them a marvelous sense of a thirst for the wonderful in their life, that they satisfy it every place else other than God's word. I don't mean to imply for a moment that God doesn't want you to see the wonders of nature or the wonders of scenery in this world or or the wonders of knowledge or the wonders of technology. Yes, see them and enjoy them, but don't you neglect the wonders of his word. Think of all there is in the Bible that you don't see. Think of all the wonder, all the treasure that's there and you don't see it. You can see such things, though you can't see everything. And sometimes you think you'll see some things that aren't really there. Yet those who see more are not necessarily smarter than you. They're not even necessarily more spiritual, if I could use that phrase, than you. Their eyes are just more open. And so if we want to see these wonderful things from his word, it's fine for us. It's appropriate just to ask God to do it. Now, Where is his point of need that he needs such wonderful things? Look here, verse 19. He says, I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. 
It's interesting. In verse 19, we have basically the same request as in verse 18. Where he says, I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments to me. Make them plain to me. Reveal them to me. But it's said for a different reason. Here the psalmist wants to know and to keep God's word. Because he recognizes that the earth is not his home. And what he needs is true communication with his real homeland. When we think of the man who says, I am a stranger in the earth, we shouldn't think of the man who wanders alone through the wilderness and the desert and there's nobody else around. No, that's not the kind of stranger he's talking about. He's talking about the kind of stranger who can be a stranger right there in the midst of a crowd of people. Where you're in the midst of them, but you realize all these people around me are living for things that I don't live for. I want to live to glorify God and these people don't. I want to live to praise him and to follow after him. The people around me don't. That makes you feel like a stranger, doesn't it? That's exactly how the psalmist felt right here. And because of it, he says, look at this, verse 20. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. His soul longed for God's word so much because he was a stranger in this world. Those who feel perfectly at home in this world... The the word that comes to them from heaven, it's let's precious, right? I mean, if you feel totally at home in this world, if your sense is this world is my home, then the word that comes down to you from heaven, well, it's not so exciting, is it? But when you realize that your real home is in heaven, when you get a word from heaven, it thrills your heart, doesn't it? And you want to rely upon those words. And so that's why he says, my soul breaks with longing. We talk in that kind of terminology all the time, right? You hear people having their heart breaking or a broken heart, right? Isn't it a beautiful thing to see a broken soul? A soul that's broken before God and is just crying out for him and is in a sense lovesick for God. And that is the sense of this great spiritual desire, longing for this before God, it it leads us to the next aspect of this section, verse 21, where he prays. And he says, you rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove me from reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. So first of all, he says, Lord, I know, verse 21, you rebuke the proud. Those who stray from God's commandments are both proud because their disobedience is evidence of their willfulness, but they're also cursed because no good can come from their disobedience. Oh, sometimes I wish that I could get that into my head. Isn't it interesting how easily we deceive ourselves on this? We think that good can come from our disobedience. There's no good that comes from our disobedience. And this is what the psalmist understood. He says, you rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove me from reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. You see, the psalmist recognized that even princes sat and spoke against him, yet he would not turn from his meditation upon God's word. Instead, he simply prayed, asking God to deal with the reproach and the contempt that notable people put upon him for his love of God. Reproach. It's unpleasant. Reproach is the expression of disapproval or disappointment. Oftentimes, reproach is never expressed in words. Reproach is merely expressed in a look. You know what look I'm talking about. 
It's that look, right? That look of disapproval, that look of, of disappointment. So reproach is bad, but contempt is even worse. Contempt is the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration and that that person is worthless or useless. But beyond reproach, beyond contempt, these enemies of the psalmist also slandered him. He says, they sit and speak against me. And so they slandered him, they reproached him, they held him in contempt. But as a contrast to that, he says in verse 24, your testimonies are my delight and my counselors. He delighted and trusted in God's word much more than in the high people of this earth, such as princes. You know, many people will live for months or months on the good pleasure of an important person who says something nice about them. Isn't this true even more so in the world today? People are fishing about, they fish about on Facebook all the time, don't they? Hoping that people will say nice things about them all the time. And hurt very wounded if people say bad things about them. In Facebook or any social medium that's out there today. And many people live for this and they, they, they covet, they long for, they want to be held in high esteem by other people. And if they're spoken ill of by other people, it crushes them. But notice the attitude of the psalmist. He held his estimation of God's word above the estimation of man. In this section, the psalmist saw many things that hinder the reception of God's word and fellowship with God. And he prayed to be preserved from them. First of all, he saw the danger of a dead soul in a cold heart. Therefore, he prays, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. He saw the danger of a darkened understanding, and therefore he prayed, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. He saw the danger of living as a stranger in a strange land. Therefore he prayed, Do not hide your commandments from me. He saw his own weakness and his own instability. Therefore he prayed, My soul breaks with longing. He saw the danger of pride, which was evident in those people who attacked him. And so he recognized that the proud are the cursed who stray from your commandments. He saw the reproach and the contempt that could come upon him and how they might shake his standing. Therefore, he prayed, remove me from reproach and contempt. And he saw rulers plotting against him. And so he said, your testimonies are my delight. Listen. This was a bad place the psalmist was in, was it not? But even in the midst of a bad place, he understood that God's word could lift him up. Not only as an intellectual apprehension, but no, God's word, yes, received first by the mind, but then into the heart and then into warm fellowship with God could lift him up from the place and he could find delight in them as well. That's our encouragement from this section, right? When this much is going against us, we can find our delight in God and his word as he comes and meets us in his word. Father, that's our prayer here this evening. We want our eyes to be open to the wondrous things of your law. We have this sense, Lord, that this book in front of us is treasure and we can see a bit of it, Lord, and we're grateful for what we can see, but we cry out to you and say, open more of it to us because, Lord... There are people here tonight, they live under the same pressures that the psalmist lived under. And Lord, just as he cried out to you, so we do, Lord. Give us a refuge in your word as you meet us in the midst of your word. We worship you in Jesus' name.
Amen.